So how are we all doing at exercising? I, I seriously need to kick it in gear because I've been slacking off for many too, uh, too many months, and um, I think it actually affects our entire well-being if we're not active. So I, I sense that in my, my own life. We all know that exercise is really, really good for us. We should do it. And yet, oddly, we find ways to avoid it. It's like, I, I think I'll eat a donut instead of working out. At least I have to walk to the kitchen to get it, right? That's exercise enough. But um, it's hard to keep exercise as part of our regular routine. But it's really, really important. This past Tuesday, Christina and I uh, headed to New York City for the day. And uh, to, the day together. And so no kids went along. Only love. Right? Only love. So we walked a lot. It was great. We meandered through Manhattan and saw all different types of things. It was, it was a lot of fun. As we uh, walked and talked together, it was good for us, good for our marriage. Sherry Strittoff is considered a marriage expert in our culture. And I'm not sure if she knows her stuff, but she was married for almost 50 years before her husband passed away. So she knows something. So listen to what Sherry wrote for About.com. Many walkers believe that walking is not only good for their hearts and bodies, walking is also good for their marriage. There you have it. She said walking is a great way to connect with your spouse. And if you think about it, walking together is really a great way to connect with your spouse. If, if your marriage needs new life, consider walking together. And using that time to connect, maybe hold hands as you walk to together, it, it could really help out your marriage. But we're going to talk about a different kind of walking today. To truly enjoy a revitalized marriage, you have to go deeper than just physical activity. In week one, we looked at the purpose of marriage to magnify God's awesomeness and portray the gospel. In week two, we looked at the problem of marriage, namely our sinful nature. Uh, but we didn't end with sin. We ended with the gospel, which is the only hope of revitalizing you and revitalizing your marriage. Jesus is the good news for married couples. His life, death, and resurrection are the power in every truly healthy and happy marriage. Last week, the concluding point was this, walk by the Spirit in victory over your sin. And that's our focus today, the power of a healthy marriage. Purpose, problem, power. Walking by the Spirit has the power to transform your marriage. And again, if you are single, this absolutely applies to you too. Galatians 5 is not about marriage, but it directly applies to marriage. If you live out Galatians 5 with your spouse, you will have a great marriage. Let me put it this way. If you don't live out Galatians 5, you will not have what it takes to enjoy marriage at the deepest level. The, the people who enjoy the deepest intimacy in their marriage live out Galatians 5. It's absolutely essential. It's the Christian life, and it's the only way to maximize your joy and pleasure in marriage. So are you ready to walk toward a revitalized marriage? The Apostle Paul wrote Galatians to encourage the church in Galatia. Galatia was a Roman province 
which is now modern-day Turkey, which is to the east of Italy and Greece. The gospel was being threatened, and Paul was refocusing the Galatian Christians on the true gospel of Jesus Christ. So we want to understand what Paul meant in Galatians 5 and then apply that truth to our marriage. Let's focus in on one big thing. This is the key to a great marriage. Don't miss this. Live and walk by the Spirit. That's it. That's the one big thing. Live and walk by the Spirit. God will bless you in incredible ways if you live and walk by the Spirit. You don't need to read the best-selling marriage books in order to experience a revitalized marriage. You don't have to go to marriage conferences all across the world in order to get the key to having an alive, vibrant, exciting, healthy marriage. You simply need to live and walk by the Spirit. I want to give you three truths from Galatians 5 that I think will help you better understand how to live and walk by the Spirit. These are foundational truths. Here's the first one. Because of Christ, you are free and not a slave of the law or sin. There were false teachers in Galatia, adding things to the gospel and laying this huge burden, this huge weight upon the Galatian Christians, saying that in order for them to be saved, they needed to be circumcised. They were adding something to the gospel. The false teachers were essentially saying that faith in Christ wasn't enough for salvation, but that obedience to the Mosaic law or ceremonial law was also necessary for salvation. That wasn't true. That isn't true. In fact, that's not good news. Read the law. That is not good news. Christ fulfilled the law, and his merits were, are enough for salvation. All the ceremonies and rituals of the Mosaic law served a purpose for a time. They they reminded Israel, they remind us of our unholiness and our inability to follow the law. Even God's moral law, which still applies for Christians, reminds us of how far we fall short of the holiness of God. You see, the law can tell us what to do, but the law can't give us the power to do what we're supposed to do. I read a little poem from an unknown author that explained this really well. This is what it says. Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. The law makes so many demands of us, and and when you look at the law, you realize very quickly we can't do it. I cannot live up to this on, our, on my own. And if our confidence is in our own ability to obey the law, we are grossly deceived because on our own, we have no ability to obey the law. So we remain condemned under the law until someone comes and fulfills the law for us and frees us to then joyfully obey the law. The gospel says that Christ fulfilled the law for us and that we are justified not because of our obedience to the law but because of our faith in Christ's obedience to the law. In, <clears throat> excuse me. 
In order for God to acquit, or you could say justify us, we need the perfect righteousness, a perfect righteousness that we don't have. We don't have it. This is what Jesus provides for us by grace through faith. He credits his righteousness, his perfect record, his I nailed it every time. He credits that to us. He gives it to us as a gift. We receive it by faith. This is why Paul said in verse 1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Christ set us free to enjoy freedom from the Mosaic law. We don't have to bear that heavy yoke of slavery because Christ is our perfect righteousness and he has set us free. Christ has even fulfilled the moral law for us. Look, evaluate your life. You have failed, I have failed to perfectly obey God. I've failed to be the moral man that God wants me to be, but God still counts Jonathan Shirk. God still counts you, if you are in Christ, perfectly righteous because you are united to Christ by faith. So he sees you as perfectly righteous. Paul gave confidence to the Galatians in verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers. You're called to freedom. Like the Galatians, we were slaves, but now we're free because Jesus is our liberator. He has set us free. In verse 18, Paul said, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. He said in Romans 6.14 that we are not under law but under grace. And in Romans 8.2, Paul said, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We are free from the Mosaic law and free from sin and death. Why do we celebrate men like William Wilberforce? and Abraham Lincoln? Well, because we know how oppressive and cruel slavery is. We know how precious and costly freedom is, and we love to celebrate emancipators, don't we? People who set others free. That's exciting to us. Jesus is the ultimate emancipator. Hear this. You can't Live as a slave to the law and sin and also enjoy a healthy and God-honoring marriage. Impossible. Won't happen. You need to be free in Christ to get the most out of marriage. Secondly, second big truth here, you are free but your sinful flesh still opposes the spirit in you. You're free, but there's a war. You see, there's a war inside every Christian husband and wife, a war between the desires of the sinful flesh and the holy desires that God's spirit puts in them. Paul had this war inside of him. Read Romans 7. And I feel this war inside me all the time. And if you're a Christian, you feel this war inside of you too. Your flesh desires one thing, and then the spirit in you desires something completely different, and it's just opposed. These desires are opposed, and you feel that struggle within you. They oppose each other. In verse 16, Paul mentioned walking by the spirit in contrast with gratifying the desires of the flesh. It's an all-out war inside of us. Verse 17 affirms this. Listen to what Paul says. 
For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. This was very real for the Galatian Christians, and it's real for us. As Christians, we most desire to please God. That's what we want most. I just want to please God. Help me to do that since I'm such a mess. That's what we want to do. Yet our flesh fights against that desire that we have to please God. The struggle inside of us is actually evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in you because there is a battle and a struggle. We are free in Christ to do what we want and what we want is to glorify God most. That's what makes you a Christian, that desire that you have. Jesus gives that to you. Christian husbands and wives are not slaves to their sinful desires. You're not a slave to your flesh anymore. Christian husbands and wives are free to fight their sinful desires with the aid and armory of the Holy Spirit. They're free to do what God wants them to do. You are free in Christ now with the Holy Spirit in you. You are free to do what you really want to do. Love and serve and be devoted to God in all things. You're free. You're free. In verses 19 through 21, Paul outlined what every person does when they live to gratify the desires of the flesh. He's going to show you what that life is like. This is what life is like when you follow your urges, when you follow your, your uh, impulses in life. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality or illicit sex. Sexual acts outside of the good boundaries of biblical marriage. Impurity. This is a word for decaying flesh, for worthless Material and it represents here moral filthiness, possibly sexual sin, sensuality. This is indecent and lustful indulgence in pursuing sexual sin aggressively. Idolatry, not necessarily a little golden statue sitting on your mantle that you pray to. Idolatry is worshiping anything as a false god. Sorcery, this is witchcraft or casting spells and using magic. But interestingly, it often included the use of drugs to bring about a magical effect. Enmity or hostile feelings that often translate into outward antagonism, it's ill will or hatred. Strife is really having nothing good to say about someone. It's being a rival of that person or angrily debating things. Jealousy, this is really that, that, that intense feeling of I want what they have. Fits of anger. This is a hot temper or anger that, that boils up from within us and it overflows in furious outbursts. Rivalries. This is when you resent someone because you are jealous of them. And so it's this, it creates this unhealthy competition with that person. Um, dissensions or standing apart from someone in disunity. It's when you're here and they're there and there is this clear line in between that separates you. Divisions. This often pertains to two parties that are separated by differing doctrinal beliefs. And I guess you could say it's essentially a strong diversity of opinion. 
envy or hostile feelings towards someone because they've had good success in a particular area. Perhaps you didn't. Drunkenness, bottoms up till you're blitzed. We get that one. Orgies, think Mardi Gras. This is excessive partying that includes drunkenness and often is, is attended with uh, sexual immorality. That's U.S. culture right there. Uh, and then Paul adds something. He says, and things like these. So there's more. This isn't even a comprehensive list. This list is absolutely eye-opening. This is what our sinful flesh wants to do. You and I want to do these things, our flesh. These things flow out of our human nature. I love Jesus, but I can feel these desires in me. What about you? See, as Christians, we can feel our flesh wanting these things. Just be honest. Sometimes we succumb to these things, but we hate it. We don't want to do this. And understand that these things, all that Paul and more, they categorize, they define those who live by the flesh. They can't um, help but do these things, those who are living according to the flesh. This is what they will do. But as Christians, you know, we're different. We're different as Christians. We are free from these things because our liberator showed up and set us free. Our flesh is dead to us. We have the Spirit who helps us put these desires in us to death so that we can live virtuously. We are not abandoned in our freedom. Christ shows up to help us put these things together. Death, every single one of these things in this list and more has caused problems in marriage since Adam and Eve ate the fruit. We've all probably seen these exact things destroy marriages around us. It's not a surprise. Paul forewarned the Galatians about these things. This is what he said. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things in this list will not inherit the kingdom of God. What he means is, if these things define or categorize your life, if you are not putting them to death every day in your life by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You won't be there. It's not for you. These are the types of things, my friend, that destroy marriages, and these are the types of things that send people to hell forever. If you are free in Christ and walk by the Spirit, you won't live like this. Yes, you'll sin. Yes, you'll be like, what in the world was that? What is wrong with me? And you'll know. But you'll hate your sin, and these things won't define you. They won't categorize you. They won't be the summary of your life because you have a different life. Assuming that you and your spouse are both Christians, there is a war inside of each of you, a war against sin, because more than anything else, you want to honor and love and obey God. If you truly want a healthy and happy marriage, help your spouse walk by the Spirit in their battle against sin. 
Don't discourage them. Don't resent them. Don't abandon them. Stay faithful to them and walk with them and help them fight and fight and fight the desires of their flesh. Now, there is good news, my friends. Every Christian's sinful flesh has been crucified with Christ. This is incredible news. This is the best news we could hear on a Sunday morning. Paul said in verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Dear Christian, you belong to Christ. You belong to Christ. And though you struggle deeply with your sinful flesh, your sinful flesh has been crucified with Christ. It's dead. Christ killed it. You are dead to sin. Paul said in Romans 6.11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Do you consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus? Is that how you see yourself? If you belong to Christ, you should. This makes all the difference in marriage. Listen to what Paul said earlier in Galatians 2 verse 19. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You died when Christ saved you. Christ now lives in you and you have an entirely new life. You are not what you once were. You are new. You are alive in Christ. He gave you an infinitely better life. Yes, you're still alive in the sinful flesh. Hence your deep struggle with sin. Hence my deep struggle with sin. But now we live by faith in Christ. Though you still sin, you are counted perfectly Righteous in Christ. Your marriage is free to flourish when you and your spouse die to sin and live by Christ in you. That's when you're free to enjoy your marriage. That will revitalize your marriage. That will revolutionize your marriage. Colossians 3, 5 says this, put to death therefore what is earthly in you. And if you do that, my friends, do you realize how that will transform your marriage? It's like lethal injection. The gospel must be injected into your sinful flesh to course through and kill everything earthly in you. And as that process takes place, your marriage gets better and better and better and better. Do you believe this? Do you believe God's word? You are dead to sin. But Jesus said in John 6, 63, that the spirit gives life. The flesh is of no avail. Though you die to sin, you live by the spirit. So for your marriage to truly be alive, the spirit must give it life. The spirit must give it life. If you and your spouse live as though you are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus... If Christ 
lives in you, you will be walking together toward a revitalized marriage. So let's talk about how living, those were the three fundamental truths. Now let's talk about how living and walking by the Spirit can revitalize your marriage. I, as your pastor, I want you, I want, I want you to experience the gospel in all of its benefits and in all of its power in your marriage. I, I want God to enliven and enrich your marriage so that your faith can skyrocket and that your joy in God and joy in your marriage can skyrocket. And for that to happen, you and your spouse need to walk together in these eight things. Number one, Christ must set you free and give you the Holy Spirit. Without Christ, you're still a slave to sin. You need to first be set free by Christ in order to be able to truly have a healthy and happy marriage. And I don't think that you want your marriage to be categorized by the list given in verses 19 through 21. I think you want more than that list. Jesus said the truth will set you free. So confess your sins. Hate them, turn from them, and receive Christ by faith. Believe the truth of God's word and submit yourself to the spirit of God. You don't want to live as a slave to sin. You want to live as a free man, a free woman, to enjoy your freedom in Christ. And then your marriage can thrive. And some of you have absolutely done this. You are alive together. And so your marriage is ready to go. It's like sitting there. You have it. You love Christ. You are made new. You are alive. And it's just sitting there waiting to be taken to the next level as you submit to Christ. The first step in walking toward a revitalized marriage is being set free by Christ and being made alive in the Spirit. That's how you walk. Number two, stand firm in your freedom. God is calling you, husbands and wives, to be steadfast You don't ever have to pick up the yoke of slavery to the law and sin again. You are free. Stand firm. Number three, do not submit to sin. Never put your confidence in your own ability to obey God's law. Put your confidence in Christ alone. You are not a slave to the law, nor a slave to your sin. So in your freedom, live under the control of Christ. Submit to him. The the greatest gift that you can give your spouse every day is rebellion against your sin and submission to Christ. Give that gift to your spouse every day. Show your spouse that you will never submit to sin and that every day you will joyfully submit to Christ in all things. That will go... We don't have time. That will go so far in your marriage. Number four, do not abuse your Christian liberty. You are free in Christ from the Mosaic law. Enjoy your freedom. But in your freedom, never disregard the moral law or all the commandments that God wants you to obey. We're not just kicking out all of the law and saying, I don't have to obey God anymore. I'm under grace, so I'll live how I want to live. No. Paul said in verse 13, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. We should never use our Christian freedom as an excuse to sin. Think about that. 
we should never use our Christian freedom as an excuse to sin. Look at verses 15 and 26. You can see that relationships were really stressed in the Galatian church. We are not under law, but we are bound by the law of Christ to love and serve each other. In marriage, we must enjoy our freedom in Christ together while being careful not to abuse it. We must always strive for holiness, always strive for righteousness so that our spouses can benefit from our holiness. Number five, love and serve each other. Verse 13 says, through love, serve one another. The word serve in verse 13 is the Greek word uh, deluo, which actually means performing the duties of a slave. Our love for each other as Christians should be so intense that we are willing to act as a slave for the benefit of one another. That's huge. That will blow your mind. What if you did that in your marriage? What do you think would happen if you did that in your marriage? One simple phrase sums up the entire essence of the law. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What if you made it your ambition every day to wake up and to love your spouse through serving them, you serve them through love, and you love them as you love yourself? What if that was your ambition in life when you got up? It's radical. So many people don't do that at all. But think about how much better your marriage would be if that's what your ambition was. It immediately will improve for you. Maybe not what the other person does, but your perspective on what's happening in your, in your marriage, if that's what you truly believe. Remember, that, that is not a burden to hear that because you're free in Christ to do that. You have the power to sacrificially love your spouse just like this because you're spirit-filled. He hasn't abandoned you. You're free to do that. That Don't hear burden in that. Say, I am free to love my spouse. The Spirit will help you do it. Number six, desire to please God. I think what Paul means in verse 17, if you look at it closely, is that the sinful desires of our flesh keep us from doing what we really want to do, which is follow the desires of the Spirit in us. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Have you ever thought about what that actually means? It it means that when you delight in God most, God takes his desires and plants them in you so that now you have new desires. That doesn't mean he gives you anything you want, your flesh wants. He puts new desires in you so that you want what he wants. Desire to please God and you won't want to sin and then that desire with you will help you walk by the spirit which will fuel your joy in life and in your marriage. Number seven, continually crucify your sinful desires. The great Puritan theologian John Owen wrote, the choicest believers who are assuredly freed from their condemning power of sin ought you to make it their business all their days to mortify the indwelling power of sin. He meant that every single day of your life as a Christian, you should kill sin in your heart. Put it to death. Don't indulge it. Don't feed it. Don't let it live. You put it to death. 
when you walk by the Spirit, which is simply just submitting to Christ in everything, every day, instead of gratifying your sinful flesh, then if you do that, walk by the Spirit, you will enjoy what the Spirit can produce in your life and in your marriage. Number eight, live, be led, and walk by the Spirit. Live, be led, and walk by the Spirit. Paul said in verse 25, if we live by the Spirit. Before you can walk by the Spirit, you need to be spiritually alive. Born again, the Spirit makes you spiritually alive. Ephesians 2, verse 5 says that God made us alive together with Christ. And if you are truly alive, my friends, in Christ, then you will walk by the Spirit. Paul said in verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. When Christ saves you and he sets you free, you are alive in the Spirit, but you're also led by the Spirit, which means the Spirit of God directs and guides your life. That's what it means. Kids, listen up. This Christmas, you might see a Christmas train display. Any train People, you like this. I love seeing Christmas trains. You might see them around at the mall or something. And you know how this works, kids, that the electric train pulls all the little cars around the track. Okay? So, kids, listen up. Sometime later today, I want you to ask your parents a really important question. Ask them this question. Who pulls you around the track? Will you do that, kids? Ask your parents later. Who pulls you around the track? Submitting to the leadership of the Holy Spirit is the key to a vibrant marriage. Now look at verses 16 and 25. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. You know, walking together might actually improve your marriage, but walking by the Spirit will totally transform your marriage. There is a way to make sure that you and your spouse don't chase your sin right into a destroyed marriage, walk by the Spirit every day together. Christina and I walked around New York City, and it was very simple, the concept. We just put one foot in front of the other toward our next stop. And, you know, walking by the Spirit is really similar to that. Walking by the Spirit is taking each step of your life through the power and direction of the Spirit, and you move toward Christ. Now, how do you know where the Spirit's leading you? How do you make sense of all this? The Word of God. God's Word. The Spirit directs you through the Bible. Psalm 43.3 says, Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. You'll know this one probably. Psalm 119.105 says, Your Word is a lamp to my feet. And a light to my path. The Greek word for walk in verse 25 is stoikeo. It means to belong in the ranks or to be in harmony with something. To walk by the Spirit is to live in harmony with the Spirit of God. You don't want to do what your flesh wants to do. You do what the Spirit wants you to do. And if you do that together with your spouse, you'll be walking right towards revitalization in your marriage. Quickly scan verses 19 through 21. Hopefully your Bibles are open. Now quickly scan verses 22 to 23. Which list do you want to define your marriage? When you walk by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit produces in you the best things. Listen to this. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things as those, there is no law. You can have every single one of those things that Paul listed in that list. In your marriage, you can enjoy them, but you need to live, be led, and walk by the Spirit in order to get them. He'll produce them in you. Without the Spirit, you cannot have these things. In fact, without the Spirit, verses 19 through 21 will totally overrun and overtake your marriage. If not now, in time. At the very end, you will have wasted your marriage. It's happening to marriages all around. Just open your eyes and look, and you'll see that list destroying and decaying marriages. Marriages fail when at least one spouse, but often it's both, live to gratify their selfish desires instead of walking by the Spirit. Most married couples want the things listed in verses 22 and 23. Oh, they crave those things, but they don't want to walk by the Spirit in order to get them, so they remain frustrated, they remain weary, and their marriage is a burden. Walking is really good for your marriage. In fact, it's essential. Are you walking together? Not taking a leisurely stroll several days a week. That's not what I'm talking about. But walking by the Spirit toward greater joy in God and greater joy in your marriage. I don't know about you. I want to walk. I want to walk. So how about we walk together? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your grace. Oh, thank you so much for being so clear in your word. If we just look at Galatians 5, we're going to see tons of things that are so practical, immediately practical to our marriages. But I know that in Jerusalem church, there are broken marriages. There are people that are really frustrated right now. And there are people who are happily strolling along, enjoying their marriage, but they might not know how much better it actually could be. And so, God, I pray that you pour out your spirit, your Holy Spirit, on Jerusalem Church, on the marriages of our congregation, that we could find the purpose of our marriage in Christ, understand the problem of our marriage is us, sin in us, and God, that that we would see how promising your word is, how, how Christ can transform our marriage and, and lead us into greater faithfulness and joy and peace and comfort as we help to help uh, our spouse kill sin in their lives and then help them walk by the Spirit. God, we want to persevere and walk by the Spirit. So help us to do that, God. Help us to celebrate Jesus, to be most thankful for him, and to walk by him so that our marriages uh, can bring you glory and us joy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.